0: How are you doing? Welcome. Matt Phillips here, host of the Sports Therapy Association podcast, which is being, as always, recorded live. Uh, If you want to join us live, then it goes out on Tuesdays, UK time, which is currently GMT plus one. And we go out live to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel, which hopefully this week, after a little bit of a technical problem last week, wasn't happening. But that's where we go out. And this month, like last month, because it's such an important topic, and um, we're also going out live to my other enterprise, OneChatLive.com. So it's going out to the people, the runners and the people who work with runners on OneChat Live. Um, so, yeah. And also the big one tonight is it's episode 100. I only realized that. It actually only dawned on me um, about a week ago. Um, so, yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm, I would be excited for any guest to join me on episode 100. But I'm really excited that I've got Matt Fitzgerald uh, joining us for episode 100. It seems very fitting. Um, And that is the guest who will be joining us for part two of what is our focus on nutrition month here at the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, Before we do get into that, I just want to thank last week's guest. Um, Let's bring him up here so I can have a little think. There we go. Last week's guest was uh, Dr. Gary Mendoza. If you listen to the podcast, obviously you can't see the images which are on YouTube. If you want to see what I'm talking about, then you can always look at all the past episodes. If you go to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel, you can catch up um and uh often it's very useful because the guests will have slides and things like that so yeah Gary Mendoza Dr. Gary Mendoza was here last week I know two weeks ago because I had a little work thing in Prague last week which was amazing I won't go into that but it was great and yeah so two weeks ago um and Dr. Gary Mendoza a fantastic knowledgeable um guest has been on the show before Um, as well as a behavior change expert he's also a lecturer in nutrition for sport and exercise at bath spa and cardiff metropolitan universities and he came on the show to open up our focus on nutrition talking about the relevance of behavior change uh, when working with patients or clients trying to manage their weight um it i think last year at therapy um expo in birmingham um I at the Birmingham NEC. I did a little countdown of all the podcasts that we've done so far. And it wasn't in any particular order. But me personally, the one that affected me most of all was Dr. Gary Mendoza. Because like we said last week, you can try and tell someone how to do anything. You can give them advice on strength training, rehab, diet, sleep. You can give them all the advice you want. But if you don't know whether whether they're ready to take that advice, if you don't know whether they're going to listen to you or what stage they are in being able to change their habits, then what's the point? You know and this is why I think we lose so many clients why they don't come back why it you know um, adherence to exercise we know is so notoriously poor so it's a topic which I think is undervalued um, and if you go to gary's websites you'll see that he is the man um, who uh, can offer you courses in being understanding behavior change. Um, so if you go to stagesofchange.co.uk, you can. There's a loads of free material on there, like we said last week uh, about behaviour change and recognising um, at what stage your client is. Um, and there's also details, loads of videos there as well, all free, free CPD. Just before you start sending me more emails about what's the best CPD out there, well, the best CPD is the free stuff normally, um, as long as it's quality. Uh, but there's also details about the courses he runs and also a free behavior change booklet, which a few people have mentioned to me. What a great free um, resource uh, which you can print out, and give to your clients or just look at yourself. Um, so, yeah, that was last week. Enough of keeping him downstairs um, in the lobby. I'm really excited. on part two of uh, our focus on nutrition to um, introduce, hopefully to some of you, if you don't aren't aware of him, uh, Matt Fitzgerald. Um, I've had the pleasure of chatting to Matt a couple of times on RunChat Live podcast. He was one of my guest speakers on RunChat Live International Conference last year, which was the online version. Um, it's fascinating seeing Matt Fitzgerald talking with Spanish um, uh, translation going on simultaneously. Um, it's almost like it's coming out of his mouth just in a female voice. But, yeah, so that's all there for you as well. And I'm really excited because I still talk to runners and say you've read some of Matt Fitzgerald's stuff. And the answer is no. And that just reminds me, my little peeve with social media, is that it's we just live in our own little bubbles. I live in a bubble where I imagine that if you're a runner or you work with runners, then you have got at least six or seven books by Matt Fitzgerald, Matt Fitzgerald on your shelf. You've probably got, like myself, I have two shelves devoted because they stretch across one and double down to the next one. Not to mention all the magazines um, and all the online articles and everything else. Um, so I'm really thrilled to bring him here tonight. And hoping that either the people who join us live or people who download are not familiar with it because it's going to open a massive door of information and knowledge um, to you to help you. Not just with nutrition, but everything and everything to do with running. So I think that's all of the spiel out of the way. I think without further ado, then I'll do what I suggested and bring up Matt Fitzgerald. Hey, Matt. How you doing?
1: Doing all right.
0: Glad to be here. Hey. I'm so glad you are here. I hope I haven't made your head kind of swell too much with that, but I do think you're great. There you go. I said it. Um, okay. and, and it really annoys me that people have it. I'm sure it annoys you as well with, I don't know, how many, maybe I guess, I don't know, 30 books out there or something spanning your history since the 90s. Um, it must be frustrating to think that some people don't know who you are and They're runners. Does it annoy you? I'm interested as much as it annoys me. No. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not. (laughs) Does it surprise you that you can get runners out there who are into running? They're looking for answers. You you would have thought they would have gone to any one of the maybe seven or eight different respected magazines you've written for. And yet they still go, no, I'm not sure. Matt Fitzgerald is never heard it. Why is he any good?
1: Uh, no, actually, you know, my, my perspective is still, you know, because you know, I've, I've, I have been me my whole life, and so for the first thirty some odd years of my life, nobody knew who the hell I was, and so that's that's what I'm used to. So I'm still kind of amazed when anybody does know who the heck I am, or has said so humble, read one of my workbooks, yeah, <laughs> but it's true,
0: so very humble. Um yeah, I guess you put it that way. Yeah, there was a time when you weren't on bookshelves everywhere. But um but yeah, really excited to hear and thank you so much to join us um on the topic of nutrition, um which is one of your specialities within endurance sports as well as everything else that goes with it. Um just to let people know, if you're watching us live, I can see people have come in already. If you do have questions, well, first of all, thank you for joining us. I can bring you up on the screen like Gary Benson, founder of the Sports Therapy Association, is in the room. And if you're watching YouTube now, you can see there is Gary saying good evening all. Also we're joined. Andy Glover is here. Um, evening, glad you're back. Thank you, Andy. It means a lot. Um, happy 100. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you for joining us um elaine g is here thanks for joining us elaine g and so on and people are coming in um, sabrina monaghan hey how you doing sabrina says hi everyone and as i say if you have got questions then um stick them in there i'll bring it up on the screen i've told matt that if he does see something interesting more than what i'm talking about he's welcome to jump in and say oh elaine's got a good question there and i shall bring it up on the screen so there we go um right matt so I did make a little screenshot, actually. I don't want to go on about It's gonna. It's like I feel like I'm going on too much about how much you've done here. But I did do a fantastic little screenshot um, just of not, not even all the books you've written. I don't know whether this is going to make you feel old. There's about four missing off there, which came before then. But um, for people watching the YouTube video, there is here like a three, six, nine, twelve. I don't know, about 30 books up there spanning all the way um, from... I think the first book I got from you is the Brain Training for Runners, which I think, if my memory serves me right, was back in two thousand and six. That was one of the earlier ones. There was a few before them, uh, and that spans all the way through. People are probably familiar, um, maybe with um, let's have a think. Eighty twenty running is a massive one. Although that's I've just jumped forwards about twelve. You're probably familiar with the eighty twenty principle. I know if you're running, you probably come across that if you want to know more about it and understand it and where it comes from, then check out the 8020 20 running uh, by Matt Fitzgerald diet cults um, homes in a lot for what we're talking about. That was a fantastic book as well, which introduced me to the nutrition side of things from Matt. And that's there as well. And for training books and plans and advice and coaching, there's so many there as well. Um, um, I'm not going to end. There's about three or four up there, which I'll definitely run faster. It was a great one for me. And that was, came at a time in my life when i was particularly trying to help other runners and there's amazing plans from all the way from 5k to marathons in the back there um and then and we go on we've got life as a marathon which was um the subject of one of the chats i did with matt on run chat live podcast um, which is an amazing book opening up um personal issues in matt's life throughout his career when he was uh, writing um the comeback quotient uh, running the dream um, talking about matt kind of cracking his pb from god knows how long ago and getting it and training with um the hoka elites um it is amazing book as well and run like a pro is the most recent one which we'll talk about shortly so um a lot for you to think about i'm interested we're, we're hoping tonight on the nutrition side of things matt what stage did you did nutrition because you're a nutritionist yourself. When did that come? Was that because of personal interest, or was it because you were already looking and studying elite yourself and thought this is interesting? Or when did it arrive for you?
1: Yeah, for for me, you know, my interest in nutrition it, it, it wasn't um, you know it wasn't like a lifelong passion the way you know training was. I mean, that I was just into from the get go. Um, nutrition I, I got into for a couple of reasons. One, you know, I, I you know. I realized it mattered, you know, to my own performance as, as an athlete, um, you know, you know, I, I, grew up on the standard American diet and then went away to college and, you know, it's anything goes in college, you know, pizza and, you know, cheese cutlets for dinner at the dining center. <laughs> and, and, the, and so, you know, when I was feeding myself, my diet just went sideways. And, and so that was my starting point when I really got serious about, uh, running a triathlon, so I decided to just get serious about nutrition for for my own sake, um, and you know, sort of you know, went through this process of you know changing the way I ate, um, and 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 so through that um, process, I, I developed kind of a, a, a broader interest in nutrition, and you know, in, in the endurance milieu that I've been in forever, I noticed that you know the the. The way I was going about trying to improve my diet and improve my performance through my diet was um, not what a lot of other people were doing. I thought I, I looked to my left and to my right and saw a lot of people just like overcomplicating things and you know, chasing bright, bright, shiny objects, whereas my, my approach is very simple. I looked, at, I looked at the winner of the race, looked at the, you know, the, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner plates of the winner of the race and said, I'm going to eat like that guy or that gal. Uh, that was my approach, and I saw a lot of other people going for you know fad diets, supplements, you know the the the, the latest greatest thing. So you know I, I got into writing about nutrition as a way to sort of help people just see you know, like, hey, it's it's easier than that. Just do you know do do what I'm doing, and what I'm doing is what you know the elites are doing.
0: It's interesting because I know people out there already from having from talking to therapists and coaches they're probably saying ah but you can't look at the elites the elites are genetically gifted and they're a whole different crop of people but i know through when you talked about run chat live and it's it's a passion of yours to suggest that this isn't the case is it obviously the genetics will play a part but there's no reason why we need to put them aside and start doing things which are totally different than them
1: yeah that's right it's 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 funny like you know even very educated people are walking around with kind of like this kind of high school level knowledge of, of like how genetics works. Um, And it's, it's not accurate, you know, it's not really up to date, I guess it's another way to put it. So, you know, if you look at the genetics of, you know, elite athletes um, in the endurance space, you know, what's been found is like, first of all, they're not all the same, like within the population of elite endurance athletes, they are as, they are as different from one another as they are from us in any particular respect. Number two, you know, it's only a handful of genes that have been identified that sort of uh, seem to be sort of like important to have if you want to be, you know, an elite endurance athlete and none of them have anything to do with how nutrition is metabolized. So like, you know, Joe and Jane Olympian are exactly like we are. Um, I mean, we're all different, first of all, but but I mean, they're they're just as human as the rest of us uh, in terms of like nutrition. What makes them different is that they're like they they have um they they have a sort of a naturally high aerobic capacity, so they're just you know good at turning oxygen into muscle power. Um, they're they're a lot of them are anthropometric, so they just have a certain body type. Um, and, um, and then they have genes for trainability so that they, 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 um, they're highly adaptive to the stimulus of endurance training, but on on the diet side, there's really not, there's no, there there. Um, so we can, and and with with a lot of things, not just diet, but with, with diet inclusive, you, you really can model your practices after the elites that doesn't necessarily eating mean eating 5,000 calories a day. (laughs) <laughs> like like they do but the principles definitely do uh, apply
0: yeah that's really interesting i think it must be human nature because you could you could say the same about running forms so the number of people who write books and dvds saying this is the best way to run and there's not one elite who runs like that or you look at five elites and they're all running slightly differently and it goes for shoes the amount of time recreational runners spend on trying to choose their shoes and then the higher you go up in the better the runner the, the least interest they've got in that you know they'll just kind of right. you know it's, it's fascinating it must be human nature that we kind of the non-elites concentrate on these quick fixes i think they're going to find something to help them become an elite rather than looking at what the elites do So it makes a lot of sense. Look at the elites, which you've spent quite a few years doing, isn't it? I mean, you've got a lot of information. When you wrote the book, The Endurance Diet, that was your trip, wasn't it? You were traveling around and doing interviews with with elites to try and get that information.
1: Yes. uh, You know, it was sort of my excuse to um, travel, travel all around the world and be able to write everything off as a business expense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, you know, and the fact that I got a book out of it was gravy. Um, But yeah, I went to Brazil. I went to uh, Canada, which isn't that exotic, but I got to hang around with elite cross-country skiers there, which is pretty cool. I went to Spain, hung out with a professional cycling team. I went to Kenya. Um, I wanted to go to Japan, but Japan came to me, as it were, um, a a team of professional, a women's professional running team from Japan was doing altitude training in Boulder, Colorado. So I hung out with them for... A few days um so yeah like it was a pretty diverse uh uh rich experience got a lot of a lot of great memories from it
0: fantastic okay so when the things we're going to talk about the questions i'm asking to ask tonight are covered quite a lot um in the endurance diet which was 2016
1: i think around then i think so yeah because the traveling was 2015
0: there we go yeah yep. So if anybody's interested in this, then that's still pretty much my go-to book. Um, But we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm also interested in, because Diet Cults, I just want to mention, is another fantastic book, which was kind of, it looked like it was more of your frustration. Oh, that frustration is my word, because you're a real chilled out guy. but kind of just highlighting the the fads and the this is the one and then next month this is the one no this is the one it's almost like a monty python sketch but Mm -hmm. diet cults is a fascinating book as well which will help people realize um just i mean what what did you what do you hope people take away from diet cults just briefly
1: um yeah i guess you know the, the the uh the thesis of the book is that um food is never just food for people that Um, it's, um, you know, there's all, there's all these layers of, uh, personal identity and group belonging, um, that are tied up in it, which, which all of which makes it, which is fine. It's just, it's, that's just human. Uh, food is never simply food for us. Um, but it, it, it makes it so that we're, we're prone to not thinking rationally about food. So uh, we all tend to think, oh, I make science-based decisions about how to eat. Well, not really. Very, very few of us do. Um, and you know, what 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 you know mainstream nutrition science has said all along is the polar opposite of what any of the um you know the the gurus that that promotes a particular you know diet cult says, which is that there is no single best human diet. Like we we are if anything makes us unique as a species is that we are the ultimate adaptive omnivores. It's like, it's not that anything goes for us, but like, there is no, it's like, it's not a matter of one false move and you're doomed with diet (laughs) as a human being. Like you could eat any of a number of different ways that, that avoid breaking the unbreakable rules and basically get the same results in in terms of health and performance. So, um, you know, there, and so, it, for me, it was just like I, I wrote the book mainly for for other people who, who 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 want to get certain results from their diet, but are turned off by the messaging of of the diet cults, which is you know join us, <laughs> you know this is this is the one true way, and I, I I just I'm like you guys are all snake oil salesmen, but but there's nothing for us, you know there's nothing that that really that makes the the mainstream message kind of sexy uh, so i was trying to do that
0: <laughs> oh you managed it i'm going to put a screenshot up because when you look at this you can see it's the one cover which seems to stand out from the others i think you had some problems with the cover it wasn't the immediate kind of choice but i just put them up here so people watching can see there's diet cults look at that look at that if you're listening <laughs> to the podcast you've got this jet black it looks like it's a cult book of some form and um, with this <laughs> toast which has been cunningly kind of carved into this shocked look face with diet cults underneath Um, definitely stands out but great book and again definitely worth um, buying or getting the audible versions um, if if you haven't read it yet Um, so yeah okay so I was listening to you then and again I can imagine that a lot of people working with athletes therapists and coaches themselves and definitely the athletes probably think oh well the elites are all eating exactly the same they're giving out measured pipettes of how much of this and milliliters of this you know, that's what we imagine it is probably because we've watched the films and we see kind of the Russians doing that is what they do. It's like they've just got measured out everything chemicals. But you've actually spent time with the elites, which is always handy when people are kind of talking about what the elites do. And it's not that's not the case. Then is there kind of variety in what they're eating? And will they now and again eat something which you might go, really You're having that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, part of the reason I wanted to visit a variety of different cultures is that I wanted to show that variety you Know if there's only one proper way to eat for maximum endurance performance, so maybe it's the Japanese diet, mm-hmm. and then like, well, but the, why are the Kenyans good at running? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and what, you know, why are the Canadians good at cross country skiing? So, I wanted to show that like you, you can eat in a way that is culturally familiar and get where you want to go as an athlete. Um, so that you know, because there's this idea of like if it's if if the, if the best diet for uh, endurance performance is scientific then it's certainly not cultural in, in any way, but in point of fact, like you, you see athletes all just getting to the same level relatively in their sports, just eating in a way that is, you know, traditional for, for, for their culture. But then if you look, you know, what an interesting experience, I'm jumping ahead, maybe a little bit, but when I was with a, a Dutch professional cycling team in Spain, I think there were 16 athletes and they were all eating their meals together there. Cause it, it was a training camp. Uh, they were on the Island of, uh, Mallorca. Um, and, and so from a distance, they all looked like they were eating like Dutch people. So, you know, a lot of bread and, and stuff. But when I went around the table, and I'm sure they thought, who is this annoying gadfly American here just with a notepad <laughs> interrupting my breakfast? But I, what I noticed, uh, you know, when I sort of zoomed in from 50,000 feet was that no two athletes were eating identically. And when I quizzed each athlete about, so they're all, you know, pulling from the same resources they had, they brought their chef with them from, from, uh, the Netherlands. And, but the, and then when I asked them like, well, why are you eating this and not that they all had reasons and they're like, you know, it might be, it might, it might have been an allergy or it might've been, um, just, they didn't like <laughs> a certain food. So there's, there's room for, for that sort of variation as well, where you sort of, Uh, you know, tune into your own body and and figure out what works and what doesn't work for you. But also there's room for things like preferences and even values, you know, like you can, it's a little bit harder, maybe if you don't, if you're like a vegan and you cut out all animal products you have, you know, it's easier to mess up if you put those restrictions on yourself. But if, if those are your values, you can make that work as well. So yeah, there's lots, lots of room for individuality and variation
0: excellent yeah very interesting um and that's coming from the horse's mouth ladies and gentlemen so being there with the elites and all eating something slightly different and maybe we'll touch on that again because that's one of the five principal habits isn't it which you kind of summarize that's the kind of flow of the whole book which maybe we could go on to now um yeah the five principal habits which you break things down into um so maybe i mean we've talked about that already so eat individually doesn't mean eat by yourself which is what I think might sound like to some people. Always go to a room by yourself. But that's what you're talking about. Eat what suits you and to a certain extent, you know, where you're from. And don't be afraid um, to um, be different than the person who's next to you. Um, Yeah. Is there anything else on that topic? I mean, I'm wondering whether sometimes what makes a champion from a country – all these elements of having something which fits in with their culture is probably a big factor. If you take away Rioja and kind of pan and stuff from the Spanish, then you probably wouldn't get a champion because that's part of what makes them powerful. And, you know, just the same as if you're not stereotyping all the Spanish there, but they do like their Rioja and a little bit of bread with everything. But yeah, that's an important thing, isn't it? Looking at the psychology of it, um, which you can't separate from nutrition, can you? Uh,
1: correct. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, I think, um, Yeah. On the matter of individuality, I I do caution that there are there are diet cults that are based on the idea that on sort of this hyper individuality where it's like, oh, yeah, like, like, look, we're all basically different species. And like you have to start from a blank slate and figure out the best way to eat for you. Um, And that's kind of dangerous, too. So there are those who take the principle of um, individuality with diet too far. And make people just feel like terrified. It's like, you know, what's my diet? I'm not on it yet. You know, like I can't, I'm not going to get any results until I've, you know, solved this puzzle. And it's like, no, it's not that serious. <laughs> you know, basically probably what you're doing now is you're probably 85% of the way there. We just need to fine tune. And then uh, the other thing I, I would like to say to just flesh out that that uh, principle is it's best to think of it as a process. So, you know, the way you eat today you know, probably shouldn't be the way you eat five years from now in every detail. Um, just similar with training. You, you know, like the same principles basically apply to everyone who is human, but we're all we're also unique in terms of how we respond to training as well. You know, some of us have a higher tolerance for high intensity than others. Um, others need to kind of chip away more at building endurance more than other athletes who tend to you know respond very quickly to those longer training sessions, same things with diet. So it's best to just accept that. Like it doesn't have to be perfect today. And in fact, it's never going to be perfect. It's sort of like this, if you embrace it, it's like this asymptotic movement, you know, over the years toward, you know, your, your perfect diet. And if you approach it that way, it sort of can be an enjoyable journey of discovery where you feel like, you know what, like, you know, what I'm doing now is yielding great results, but I have, you know, every I have every reason to believe that next year I will have fine-tuned even more um, and and will be doing even better
0: yeah great points and I'm, I'm thinking as well that the the implications and effect of somebody who is taking things too far to an extreme such that they're actually suffering in the background at this at the expe- because they believe that this is the right thing to do this is probably going to be greater the more kind of recreation you get isn't it because as you move away from the elite and move towards athletes, which probably most people listening to this podcast are working with, the effect of them forcing themselves to follow something which isn't fit in their life is really going to have a drastic effect on their running because the other components are lacking. Um, So the message, I can see how the message gets passed down and how, if you do look at the elites and adopt these principles, you can have even more of a benefit as you move further away from the elites to the more recreational. I have no idea if that made sense at all. It made sense in my head but um but anyway (laughs) um yeah i'll think about that and come back again um becky's just managed to slip into the room becky carroll is is probably one of the greatest question answers in here becky yeah don't worry i won't put on the screen or anything saying you sneaked into the virtual room that you're late i won't draw any attention to it but you have come with the questions that's fine fantastic let's bring that up on the screen um for matt so becky carroll says have you had any experience with athletes that are fed via a feeding peg I'm hoping you know what that is. I'm am, giving you four I seconds. Hoping, <laughs> I was hoping I was hoping you knew, <laughs> uh, Becky. You're gonna have to expand on that. I don't know whether you no. You expand on that. I've got ideas in my head. Do you have to come back with a with a um, expansion on what you mean by feeding peg. I've got all sorts of ideas going through my head. Uh, come back, Becky. Um, well, I've got to delete that from my brain now. I'm not trying to think. Is it a spinning mistake? Is it a typo? Or oh, anyway, I,
1: I, I was just I was. I was going to blame it on my Americanism.
0: But- <laughs> no, um, well, it may be. Maybe I should know about it, um, but I don't. Anyway, so eat individually, fine. Very important point. Let's have a look at the other ones. Um, and it's interesting because people will see these and be tempted to have their own kind of assumptions of what you're actually meaning. So I think all of them, the title doesn't give away exactly what you're talking about. Right. So let's start off maybe with eat everything, which people are going to be thinking, yes. what, everything? Don't start myself with anything. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I I kind of do mean eat everything. Um, uh, excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, most popular diets, you know, most diets with names attached to them are defined by the don'ts, you know, what, what you don't eat, either it's a food type or it's a food, a type of nutrient. Um, but you are, you know, placing restrictions, um, and in, in both the di- in both diet cults and in the endurance diet i i take pains to show that you know really if you look at evolutionary history like it, the the, uh, the evolution of our species is a really a, a, the story of a mammal becoming increasingly omnivorous like you know that movement that you know that <clears throat> famous you know first bifurcation when some of us some of our ancestors came down from the trees to the African savanna and decided to make a go of it there while others stayed in the trees. Well, that, that leap, that literal leap from the, the branch to the turf caused our diet to our ancestors diet to diversify. Cause you're just, there was different food there, there, down there and, and more variety. And on it went from there. If you just look at the arm migration throughout the world from, uh, you know, East central Africa it was like this expansion that, you know, we just, by then, a lot of our evolution was in place. But what made that migration throughout the entire planet, habitable planet possible, was that we could eat anything. <laughs> that is that is why it worked, is because we could adapt to anything. Um, and so that, that's what we are. And so what comes with that, just, you know, the fact that we are adaptable and we we are capable of of eating uh variedly is that we're actually sort of dependent on eating that way like we can actually only optimize our health by maintaining a very diverse diet, like we can't just go you know eat you know eat only blueberries or only beef jerky and expect to be uh to be healthy. We need blueberries and beef jerky, and that's it no just kidding uh so <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> uh, so so, so yeah. So, um so, you know, there's a reason. So, you know, just bracket that all that, that evolutionary just so story. And then you look at, you know, the way elite endurance athletes eat. And definitely if, if you're immersed in our like fad diet culture, and you go spend time at the, you know, the dinner tables of elite endurance athletes, that would probably be the probably be the most striking thing as you if you followed out followed around you know an elite cyclist or runner or cross country skier for a day you would be blown away by the variety of foods in their diet very likely that would be the number one thing that st- stood out and if you understand that evolutionary background it kind of makes sense right just like and they have a totally different mindset and i'm i'm speaking in generalities but these generalities really pretty much do apply like you know if you just quiz your 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 typical elite endurance athlete they will say no, I'm not worried about what I can't eat or don't eat. I'm trying to make sure I'm as inclusive as possible. Like I'm going out of my way to make sure I check all the boxes and have a very round, well-rounded 360-degree uh, nutrition profile I- in my diet. Um, so yeah, so that would be habit number one. And it's you know it's kind of a good news story, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know it's like, and I I, bring, I also bring in, in in the book. I mentioned some of the research showing that people naturally preferred a varied diet. Um, that's one of the things that makes it hard to stick to a very restrictive diet. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think it's good news for, for a lot of athletes.
0: It's brilliant. It's So it's such a – it's it's gold for people who work with um, athletes here and they're looking to give advice. One, you just freeing people up from all this baggage and thinking, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it just makes so much sense as well. You don't have to be a genius – um, either to explain it or to understand it. Um, so I'm hoping people take something away from that. But, of course, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it wouldn't sell a book. The latest diet, eat everything, end yeah. of page, well, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't see a penny, the, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the endurance <laughs> diet is not, not my best-selling book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so. sorry about that. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> suggesting that. No, but what the endurance diet, I think, does is it's all very well – I mean, that's the whole challenge. If, if If all runners listen to their little voice in their head – then they probably wouldn't spend $160 or $150 on a pair of shoes. They probably wouldn't all try and run on their toes for a marathon because their body kind of says either it doesn't matter or this hurts, you know, but Mm -hmm. we don't listen to our little voice, do we, enough, um, whether it's because of the industry around or whether it's because just human nature. So it is, like you say, deprogramming, and that's the value in your book. It shows coaches and therapists and personal trainers how to have, one, the confidence to deprogram clients or recognize that you need to deprogram and then two just some of the tools like you say the research if people like that and just the way of explaining it you know it's it's not easy explaining this to people without them kind of just like our guest was saying two weeks ago just close the doors as soon as you say this they just close the doors go yeah that's interesting and then they go back to what they're not allowed to do Uh, We've got some questions coming in, which is great, people. If you have got questions, feel free. In fact, let's go to some of them now before we move on to the other principal habits. Um, Yeah, I did think this. I just did have the confidence to actually mention it. When Becky was referring to a feeding peg, what she was referring to is somebody who needs their food introduced via a tube into the stomach for whatever reason. I thought it might be that, um, but I didn't want to kind of risk my reputation by assuming that. Have you ever worked with athletes who have got that kind of system going on?
1: No, I have not i've uh yeah i've you know worked with at least one athlete who was like uh missing a big chunk of his large intest- intestine and, and had special limitations for that reason but um uh you know not not a feeding pig I would think in principle what you're trying to do is like r- regardless of the specific constraint you're trying to duplicate a normal diet nutritionally as closely as you can. So you, you accept the constraints, because uh, you can get into real trouble if you defy them. But then you, you look at, you know, like, the, the goal is still nothing else has changed about your nutritional needs, right? So you just like, you know, you, you, within, within those limitations, you try to duplicate, replicate a, you know, a normal diet to the maximum degree that you possibly can
0: there we go becky if you have got someone like that and maybe yeah shed some more light if you're working with somebody that have they got any restrictions or have they been told that they should be avoiding certain foods obviously there's going to be medical conditions where certain foods are ruled out or other foods encouraged but we're kind of talking i guess tonight about the general athlete endurance athlete um there's more questions here let's have a little look they're coming in fast and furious now brendan turner thanks for joining us brendan is asking matt Fitzgerald, what's the maximum oh good calorie question good one what's the maximum amount of calories uh you can take in one go or per hour as not to eat too much so you're just producing waste okay
1: the goal, the, the uh, you know, the, the answer to that question is evolving because it's um, it's a pretty fertile area of research right now. Because you know, what research has shown is that you know, during if you take you know, just think about uh, endurance racing. So you know, the competitive context with you know, longer events, what it's been consistently shown that the more nutrition, and specifically, really carbohydrate, you are able to successfully absorb, the more your performance improves. So the it's not like there's some you know easily attainable ceiling like where it's it's you get to the point of negative returns or oh, don't you know, even though you could eat more than this don't because your your performance will start to tank no like if you can eat it your performance will if you can absorb it your your performance will improve so the idea is that you want to you want to consume and we're talking about events that last more than about two and a half hours where it's really the more the merrier. Um, And what has also been shown is that tolerances are um, kind of mutable to a certain degree where uh, you can kind of train your gut and you can also manipulate what you take in uh, in order to push that threshold upward. And like very, very few athletes take full advantage of it's really free speed right there. If you if you do train your gut and if you think carefully about what you take in in order to maximize absorption, that is just free performance like there for the taking. Um, so, uh, the limit is definitely lower in running than it is in um, in uh, other sports because of just the the, the mechanical jostling of the bolus <laughs> in your uh, in your digestive tract. Um, in cycling, it's been it's up to 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour um, can be absorbed by you know the typical trained athlete with if they're taking in the right things which is basically just sugar, <laughs> uh, preferably. Um, and if uh, if you do some some gut training, uh, which basically just means like in training, just figure out what the limit of your tolerance is. And then it's, it's a little bit like graded exposure. If you're trying to overcome a phobia or, or you know, physical therapists know all about uh, graded exposure. So you're just trying to you know, it, you know, just gently push, nudge nudge that threshold upward. So... You know, it, it, each athlete is going to be at their own starting point, and they're they're also going to have there's going to be some individuality in terms of what they tolerate well and what they don't. Um, but you know, generally, if you're if you're if you're looking for performance, you you um, you know, if you're going to go out for a six hour bike tour, you probably can just eat so, like normal food, and it's healthier for you anyway. But if you're going for performance, like so intensive workouts, races, you want to you want to consume the products that were designed for that use because. They don't have anything in them except what you can benefit from, um, you know, anything that will get in the way of just, you know, it's like rocket fuel for your muscles to take in, you know, the gels and the sports drinks and and, and the bars and that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, just figure out where you are and then try to try to increase it. But, um, yeah, 120 grams per hour for uh, uh, um, events, other uh, sports other than, than running is kind of the, the new the new frontier.
0: Great, great question. Thank you. And uh, great question, uh, Brendan. Yeah, and a really important point, isn't it? The working um or building up gradually, the progressive kind of and also work yeah, individuality again, seeing what works for you. Um yeah. often in marathons, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in marathons a number of runners I see who a lot of mountains over here have got their they kind of they've got a branded gel or something which is being given out at the stations and the number of runners who just suddenly decide you know what i'm going to have one of those now and, right. and just wrecks their stomach <laughs> even if they're used to taking some kind of gel thing and they've got them right. in their belt they'll just think they'll go for a different brand why not let's try it it always happens isn't it let's try something i've never done before in my training and see what happens and that's it they're just kind of like all sorts of bodily fluids coming out so yeah train train let your race just be the exactly the same as what you've done in the training great question Brendan thank you for that um we've got lots of questions coming up a question here from Gary um Gary Benson founder of the STA asks uh, Matt Fitzgerald how common are food intolerances and allergies in elite athletes and how do they manage them please
1: Yes. Good question. Um, you know, I believe I I can't cite statistics, but I believe they're about as common as they are in the general population, which, uh, suggests that, that having food intolerances or allergies is not disqualifying toward becoming an elite athlete. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have, you can have these, you know, relatively common issues and they're not going to prevent you. You know, if you have the other, the the other tools, they're not going to keep you out of that club uh, you know, when this topic comes up, I like to cite a really great uh, paper uh, that was published by a sociologist, actually, on on allergies and intolerances. I may have cited it in in a book or two, uh, but the title of the paper is "I Can't Eat That." Um, and uh, uh, you know, what the argument that this—I uh, I don't have his name, unfortunately—but you can find it. Um, uh, excuse me, the author of this paper, "I Can't Eat That." He says that, uh, like. It, most allergies and intolerances are actually cultural, that they're not they're not physical <laughs> that. Uh, and that's why you see huge di- discrepancies in the rates of you know um, intolerances and allergies. Well, a- an allergy is an allergy, but really intolerances uh, in different cultures like in Kenya. It's not a thing. If you say, oh, you know, I have an, an X, Y, Z intolerance, they'll look at you like you have two heads. It's like uh, that's I'm sorry, that's not a thing here. Um, and, and his argument is, it's, it's actually, um, it's, it's sort of like a, a symptom of it's, it's a symptom of affluenza. Like it's a way of like, if you're so well off that you can refuse perfectly good food, it's a, it's a, it's a status symbol. So it's like, Oh, I can't eat that. And that means you're, you're rich. <laughs> Cause you, you can afford to turn away food. Whereas folks in Kenya are like, no, that's food. I can eat that. And I'm going to. Um, so, so I, I, I will say that in general, True food food intolerances intolerances are not nearly as common as we'd like to think. That, that physical intolerances are only a fraction of the the you know self diagnosed you know claims of, of intolerance. But that being said, uh, you know I I can think of you know specific elite athletes who who do have allergies and intolerances. Stephanie Bruce on the NAZ elite team that I train with has a litany of them. And she was definitely not one of those affluenza. I can't eat that types. Like she loves to eat like everything. And she still does eat whatever she can, but she happens to have celiac disease and a a, a lactose intolerance or actually a full on dairy intolerance. So, you know, know, a lot of foods are just a no go. She can't do wheat. She can't do dairy, uh, but she does what she can, you know? So she, even within those constraints, she obeys the eat everything principle
0: and does pretty good
1: and does pretty good <laughs> <laughs>
0: still doing very good i follow her fantastic yeah amazing amazing athlete that's really interesting to hear and again it's gonna hopefully defeat a lot of ideas that if you have got intolerances well you can never really take your chosen sport that seriously because you're held back by food so when you know someone like stephanie bruce's yeah up there with uh, that list of dairy intolerances and yeah that's that's really encouraging uh, great question, Gary. Thanks for that. And actually, next week our guest will be Dr. Jill Hart, who, and we'll be talking about food intolerances and food testing and all that. So that'll be a whole hour of that next week. Um, great. Um, before I go on to another question, I just want to make sure we talk about these five principal habits because each one has got some magnificent opportunities for you to spread your good word. Um, so we talked about eat individually, um, so respecting differences um, that people will eat according to maybe lots of other factors like culture and, and what works for you eat everything was a great one as well so don't look at it as don't do this don't do this don't do this the elites are getting as much of everything as possible to get that um variety which is looking at the physiology and the development of us evolutionary wise and that makes perfect sense um but then i like the way you follow the eat everything in the book with the but eat quality as well because that kind of explains that it doesn't mean just drink two bottles of vodka every day it's fine you can eat everything yeah. So right. how does that quantify the equality
1: yes eat 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 quality is the big qualifier on eat everything mm-hmm. um, you know I, I didn't get a chance to when I was discussing the eat everything principle i didn't get a chance to mention, mention to well to fully tie a bow on the idea that when I say everything, I mean everything, so most of the elite athletes I spent time with in researching my book uh consume alcohol you know uh you know not, obviously they weren't drunks, but they would have a glass of wine with dinner like that, that sort of person. Um, you know, most of them were in the habit of eating some kind of you know, sweet, um, you know, at least a few times per week, if not daily, you know, some dark chocolate or, or that sort of thing. So, um, or, you know, just an indulgence in, you know, um, you know, uh, what we call French fries here in America or, you know, whatever, you know, just like, you know, food that's not good for you. Um, so, everything, when I say everything, I mean everything. Like they were not like just so rigid where it was just like, Oh no, I absolutely will not ever touch pizza. Um, But um, the other thing you would notice, you know, if you were studying the diets of elite endurance athletes, which I did is like at first, like from, again, from a distance that like what's on their plate looks very normal. You know, it's like, well, doesn't everyone eat that way? Like, why do I care what the elites are eating? But then you, you, then you take a couple steps closer and you notice that, Everything on their plate is unprocessed. So that is what that is really the essence of what, you know, for in in, in the general public, when we talk about diet quality, we, we tend to, we tend to think of like, you know, like a good cut of meat versus a low quality cut of meat, that sort of thing. But for, in nutrition science, quality has a different meaning and it just, you know, the quality. Uh, is defined by the results obtained from consuming that type of food. So they'll do this huge epidemiological studies where they look at, um, you know, diet patterns in hundreds of thousands of people and then rates of various, uh, you know, disease or health outcomes. Like, you know, it could be like vegetable intake and cancer risk or whatever. And yeah, these these studies are hard to do well, but there's a lot of them have been done and and there's uh, some general agreement that, you know, It's no particular, uh, you know, nutrient or you can't point to anything particular in the makeup of foods that make them, you know, high quality in terms of their health outcomes. The thing that they all have in common is that they're unprocessed, that they're natural foods. So um, it sort of it sort of reinforces the eat everything thing, because, you know, every single food type in its natural form is associated with positive health outcomes uh, with the qualified exception of meat. That's uh, an area of hot debate, but, but even like seafood. So, so animal foods still like fit unprocessed, uh, you know, f- seafood fits into the, the high quality category, you know, as obviously fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes uh, up and down, Even you know, even dairy actually. So, um, so yeah, that's all that quality means is like, you know, you should eat everything, but like most of what you eat should be in a minimally processed or unprocessed form. And there's lots of, I don't pay too much attention to like, um, you know, like the the, the whole the obesity and, and weight management side of things. I'm really focused on performance, but there's really interesting research going on now in terms of uh, diet quality, like processed, unprocessed, hyper-processed and their effects and, and really there's been there's a the growing consensus that that is where it's at in terms of risk for becoming overweight or obese it's like the less processed food you eat um whatever the other particulars the less likely you are to become uh overweight
0: yeah which again isn't really rocket science is it but <laughs> no. it is really heavily integrated into lifestyle and fitting around a large family, kids, job, you know, time to prepare food, cultures, amount of time you put aside for lunch, going to sleep in the evenings, working at night times. It's the one thing which processed food helps is you can suddenly squeeze it in, can't you, into this busy life we've got ourselves. So it's probably the hardest thing to change, which is why people do look for other fixes rather than just thinking, how processed is what I'm eating? You know, they'll try and find excuses like oh when it was frozen it was really really fresh um which sometimes is works but it's still looking for ways around it doesn't it can i eat fresh unprocessed food now very interesting yeah really cool um okay so eat everything eat quality we did eat individually we've mentioned this a few times and this kind of goes against a lot of kind of the fads out there but it's still another one that is um eat carb centered you mentioned carbs specifically you know or in particular for endurance that's still the way to go is it carb is
1: yes yeah um you know again um you know i know like how weirdly controversial it is (laughs) (laughs) to say that you should eat carbohydrate Mm. but you know when I, i traveled around the world eating with you know a great variety of the world's most successful endurance athletes and without exception they were on uh carbohydrate centered diets which I, I, I use that term rather than high carbohydrate because it, I think it's actually more accurate um, and and it, it's just less loaded. It, it, I'm, I'm trying to cue people like, I mean something specific here. So, you know, they just, um, you know, their their meals and snacks tended to be centered on uh, high quality carbohydrate rich foods. And, you know, the, the research also there's, again, like my approach is monkey see monkey do like, you know, eat like the guy who's winning, but it's not like I take my eyes off science altogether and, and the science really does stand behind that. Um, again, like there's, there's, you know, it's, I mean, there's no perfect magical macronutrient ratio, you know, carbs, fat, protein that you have to nail in order to uh, be successful. There's just, there's parameters that you need to operate within. And the most, uh, you know, the, the one that, that needs to be most flexible is, is carbohydrate. So if you are completely sedentary, you you need very very little carbohydrate. You can get by with a very low carbohydrate diet. If you are like an athlete, you know, a, say an elite triathlete who trains thirty hours per week, you'd really better be on a very high, high carbohydrate diet. Like you will perform better, and there's pretty solid research showing that that's the case. You, you had this, you know, these kind of like bug-eyed low carb zealots out there, just like trying so hard to prove that, you know, ketogenic diets were better for endurance performance. And, you know, it just, the studies just kept blowing up in their faces. And it's like, how many times do you have to see this before you change your tune? Um, mm. But, you know, you know if, you, if you just really want to, um, you know, minimize the risk that of dietary self-sabotage, you know, maintain a, a carbohydrate centered diet, just make sure that all of your carbs or almost all of your carbs are unprocessed, that they're they're high quality carbs. You know, there's te- this tendency to think, oh, Matt's ha- saying you should have, you know, ice cream and um, cotton candy uh, for breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. It's like, no, Matt is not saying that. <laughs> He's saying, <laughs> saying you should have whole grains and, you know, and fruit, you know, fresh fruit is full of carbs um, and that sort of stuff.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, no, you just kind of, said what i was going to say in terms of the five principles work together as soon as that's the danger isn't it? if you take one of them and just go straight into that and forget about the other four you could go down huge rabbit holes but yeah they all work very nice together in terms of um yeah eat carb centered but make sure that it's you know not heavily processed and make sure you're getting quality and make sure you're not just having carbs and forgetting about everything else because then you're not going to get your fats and you do need some protein so yeah, fascinating. Um and it's and it's and it's so interesting. I think people listening to this podcast, I hope there's some people there who feel a little bit deflated, who feel a little bit let down. <laughs> because the truth does let you down sometimes, it seems, repeatedly, when it comes to what's the best way to look after ourselves. It's really hasn't got the bells and whistles of um fresh new DVDs and acronyms and ways of doing stuff um but like i say harder is putting it into practice and um, it's all very well knowing this but probably the reasons why this simple advice doesn't happen is because it's pretty tricky to put into practice um like i say because of lifestyles but with that in mind because we are getting to the bewitching hour now um i just want to let people know obviously nutrition is Um, something you've specialized and you look in but the coaching is still um, going very strong I just want to put up Matt's website I've got um, clients who use the website I'm forever giving it to people who um, have got runners um, or uh, endurance athletes who are looking for some kind of guidance let me just put this up we can still hear you Matt if we put it on full screen so yeah you've probably heard of 8020 before Um, it's become hugely popular it's one of the kind of again people probably abuse it sometimes and misinterpret it but it's a great principle and um, an easy way of remembering this website as well matt is the first person who says to, to admit that he didn't kind of he didn't do the original research which came up with this but in the book 8020 um, for runners and for triathletes then the research which which um, came up with this is mentioned and everything but yeah 8020 com is the website if you're looking at the youtube live feed now and you can see the website there so much on there training plans subscriptions um all sorts there's a blog loads of different resources you've got zone calculators workout libraries it's just massive um because this guy's been doing it for a long time he probably doesn't want to admit that but there's a lot of years which have been going into um the information which is on this website Um, so a really really great resource which i hope um some of you will be able to forward on to your runners and have a look through yourself Um, to get some great ideas. Um, And it's going well, the coaching, is it, Matt?
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, It's like, it's funny, you know, my motto throughout my career has been swing at every pitch. Um, And and just selling training plans online was just another of many, uh, one of many pitches I swung at. uh, Initially in 2006, I think that was when I built my first, you know, online a la carte download as you please, uh, training plans. And it just grew into uh, yeah, a real yeah, international business. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's an American company, but 60% of our athletes are outside the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them in the, in the UK.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it just keeps growing and growing. And it's kind of cool because, you know, again, like, uh, you know, I didn't come up again with the 80, 20 thing. I'm kind of the midwife for all of these <laughs> great ideas I share. Um, but but it, you know the, the reason it's growing it's very like we don't advertise or you know it's just very word of mouth and it's because mm-hmm. like athletes are getting good results it's because you know most people if they're just training on their own they're doing it wrong you know like most people just make pretty basic mistakes and um it, they're 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 correctable mm-hmm. so yeah uh, feel feel pretty good that I'm not uh, you know solving world hunger or anything but uh helping athletes uh, achieve their dreams and is pretty satisfying
0: and i guess it's a really great way to to kind of see what you are saying and advising you're putting into practice and i guess that helps you see that there's individuality and and you're not giving the same plan to all the runners just the same as there's no one diet there's no one workout which is gonna you know help everybody run their 5k pb or something so yeah, great stuff, and the books you produce as well, like I say, um, are brilliant. Normally, in 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 um, uh, writing with another coach, yeah. is it it's uh, Brad Hudson? Is it Brad? Uh, Brad Hudson. the new
1: one? Is it the? I'm new- not going to the new one yet. The
0: one I really like, oh, yeah. which because I'm yeah, old, Brad
1: Hudson.
0: Brad Hudson. I mean, that was brilliant. I mean, uh, it's still on my shelf and thumbed through. In fact, I got two of them by mistake because I thought I'd lost one and bought another one. And and yeah, but it's if I'm going to have two books, that's the one um the other one is alex hutchinson actually i've got that as well i've got two of his books it's always a good sign to have two books but yeah the latest one as well i haven't read yet i'm gonna admit um, I, I think we were talking about earlier it's not available on audio yet let me just bring it up we can still hear you and um, when i do put it on full um so run like a pro even if it's slow I love your titles. I don't know how much thought goes into them, but they 're just brilliant um, but yeah, well like it even slow that is i 'm pretty sure it 's on available as a book on amazon in the u k but the order isn 't quite there yet um if you 're okay for time it is nine o three but yeah what 's the i haven 't read this yet, so i 'm very excited what 's the idea behind that? What are people going to read in that
1: yeah i mean that 's sort of where i I just come straight at my you know my my core conviction you know as um uh, you know, an endurance sports guy, which is that um, anyone who cares enough about their about in this case running to want to improve should uh, model their practices after what the elites do. Uh, you know, with training, with diet, to mindset, uh, to you know, gear, to recovery. Um, you know, uh, soup to nuts. And so I sort of in the first chapter, I sort of make that I make the case that, hey, you know, you're not so different from, from, you know, the folks who go to the Olympics. And then the rest is just, you know, Ben, and myself, you know, tag teaming, just um, showing people how to do it. Um, you know, and everything uh, you know, is with the understanding that you have to, you have to scale, you know, like, you know, okay, you know, maybe you don't have the capability to run two hundred kilometers per week. In all likelihood, you don't. Uh, but you can still or you can still adhere to the the principle that underlies that specific practice that the the elites engage in. So you know, we covered diet. Uh, there is a chapter on on the nutrition component in, in there as well. So um, yes, I think it came out really well. So Ben and I have, like have different voices. Like I do my like science-y thing, and then he jumps in as like you know the elite coach in the trenches working directly with these athletes to chime in from his perspective. And I think it's kind of a fun structure. Um, and yeah, we've been getting good feedback on it.
0: Fantastic. No, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. And then the one before that, it's really nice. The order you've done them in because running the dream is you testing this out on yourself, um, where you did set this, what sounds like on the insert ridiculous goal to try and beat a PB from what was it? 13 years before, previous or something like that. Um, by training and doing, you know, I mean, it's just classic you. I'm not I'm just going to write about it. I'm going actually, I'm going to go to war. I'm surprised you're not in Russia or Ukraine at the moment. Just, that's what you <laughs> the sort of person you are. You know, I'm going to the to the, yeah, to the the front line to actually test my theory about this new pistol I've got, you know. So running the dream is amazing, people. It's a real um, roller coaster. It's just fantastic about um, Matt's training with the um, Nazelite. Elite. Uh, with Ben, ben Rosario as, as the head coach. And it takes you through his goal of um, getting a PB. I'm not going to ruin the ending or anything like that. But yeah, a, such an exciting book. Um, I, I almost want to say, <laughs> actually, I want to say, if you're going to read Max Fitzgerald's book, go back to 2006 and start with Brain Training for Runners and then go in order. It's like Jack Reacher. You've got to read them in order. You can't just pick anyone along the way. But if, you, if, you, if, you are, if you're thinking, then I would probably read Running the Dream, Run Like a Pro because it sets the scene so well, and you realize that the author is actually, yeah, he's got the medals, he's been there, and then the stuff which will come out, I imagine in one I'm like a pro will make um, a lot of sense. You don't have to. I'm not trying to get Matt a double sale here or an upsell like larger fries, but it's it, it would help if you if you do want to do it. I think it'd be a good way of doing it. Um, yeah, really excited about that. Right, okay, Matt, um, time is 9.06. I'm sure you've got stuff to do. What time is it where you are? Where Are you in California at the moment, or...?
1: yes yep um uh, early afternoon here
0: so okay yes. you got the so, day ahead of you um okay right well so thank you so much for giving up your time um and um if people want more information obviously they can go to the 8020 endurance website or on social media are you facebook mainly or where do you kind of you've got facebook groups haven't you or do you not I, I, try to avoid it <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah I'm I'm I took a big step back in 2020 for, for mental health reasons. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm there I'm just not very active lately I'm
0: afraid. Yeah yeah. <laughs> so probably the website is the best thing. Um contact form there if they've got any questions. Um but obviously, people, if you're interested, you can use this. If you're watching the YouTube video, use the comment section here to ask stuff. I will pass questions on to Matt. Um, the same if you're um, wherever you're listening to this. If you're looking at on the Run Chat Live Facebook page and leave some comments on there. And I will make sure that um, I can guarantee they get to Matt and I'll do my best to get a reply. I'm sure you will. Um, so, Matt. Um, before we go people just like just to remind you next week on focus on nutrition does continue with dr jill hart um, who's a leading uk biochemist and expert on diagnostic testing so we'll be talking all about food intolerances there i'll be interested to hear um, her views and um, when i um, talk about a few things that matt said tonight that'll be next week uh, may the 24th tuesday eight o'clock gmt plus um, one if you're listening from outside the uk um but um on behalf of matt and myself matt don't go away i just want to say thanks to you i'm just going to shut the lounge down so on behalf of matt and myself um yeah thanks for joining us if you did join us live and if you do download the podcast and do please 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 leave a rating take that two minutes out of your very busy schedule just to click your iphone and just put five don't even think about the one to four just put a five simple just put great That be that's all i need um because it just helps get the word out there okay we rely on you um, doing that because then if people put a search in we appear higher and the incredibly fantastic educated word of our guests gets to more people which is what it's all about so thanks for joining these people um thank you matt once again and um we'll see you all next tuesday at eight o'clock at gmt plus one take care you're listening to run chat live podcast putting the evidence back into running injury and performance